This is the podcast episode for the QED Changemaker series. Our guest in this episode is the Chief Marketing Officer in Residence at the Singapore Management University's Institute of Innovation and Entrepreneurship. With over 30 years of experience in the communications industry, she's a seasoned practitioner and visionary of branding and marketing. Prior to this, she was in leadership roles across regional and local brands such as NTC Fairprice and was also the Vice President of Marketing at Honest Bee Asia Pacific. This inspiring leader also consults and advises companies on branding and communications, user experience for tech platforms, service experience design, and data-led growth strategy. Let's welcome Christina Lim to the QED Changemaker Series podcast. Hi, Christina. Great to have you with us today. Hi, Ryan. So good to catch up with you again. Ah, it's been some time, yeah? <laughs> yes, yes, it has been. Okay, come, let's cut to the chase. Now, for the benefits of our listeners, could you tell us a little bit more about your corporate career? I know it's a very rich one, including maybe your current role at the Singapore Management University. I've started my career in the creative industries ever since I graduated and eventually took on leadership roles in the ad agency. And subsequently, I transit to an in-house marketing leadership roles. And over the years, I've actually built my experience based on consumer goods, retail, marketing, e-commerce, and then eventually techs and startups. So in the last two years, I serve as expert in residence at SMU Institute of Innovations and Entrepreneurship. That's a long name, right? This is where I mentor startups under incubations because it has a business innovators generator program where they incubate startups and to help them to get from zero to one. So is that the main role of the chief marketing officer in residence at SMU? That's not the only role. I also get involved in basically shaping some of the curriculums that the IIE create for the startup. So part of my role also include basically designing master classes. Sometimes I conduct them myself and sometimes, you know, it's a case where we look at new ones where the need arises. And there are times where I actually participate in the intra-university forums and basically just kind of sharing my perspective on how we can start innovativeness and entrepreneurship into the whole ecosystem, how to bring that into conversations with the students and to the faculties. So it's quite interesting. I actually learn a lot talking to all the smart people. Let me change gears and shift a little bit into the topic of today on crisis. And there are three areas of interest among the senior leadership. First one would be to deal with external or even leadership crisis issues. The second one, motivating their teams and themselves. And also about managing and balancing their limited emotional energies. So I wanted to hear your perspective on it and maybe we can go one by one. How do we or how should senior leadership actually deal with external or maybe even leadership crisis issues? I think when it comes to external crises, many of them are uncontrollable. Uh, you're able to control how you want to respond. So you can either panic and cry like you know, chicken leaders in the movies, uh, saying that the sky is falling, or just watch <laughs> and think what would happen next, right? It's about composure. You need to basically, I think, keep a level head because that's where everybody is looking to you. External crises come in many forms so that some of them could be uh, malicious threats, for example, malicious hacking or the chatters out there just not favourable to your brand. In some other cases, it's key man risk, for example, your leadership committed something outside and then affected the whole company. Very recently, there's an example, right, involving domestic helper lawsuits that eventually affected some key leaderships in the organisation. In fact, 
check uh, for that case, there were multiple organizations that were also yes. sort of like you know, brought into. So, those are things that you cannot control within the organization, but you have to deal with it. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you have all the answers or you are quite okay. The reason why it's called crisis is you never expect it and you are in a way trying to drive the car and still at the same time figure out which direction you should go. A whole group of people following you, looking at where exactly you're going. So, when the world is in chaos, you have to be the calmest person in the room. What potentially could happen, the implication, who's going to be affected, who needs to be informed, who needs to be rally. And I've been in similar situations like this and find that, you know, that's really a true test. In a crisis, leaders are not made, leaders are reviewed. You know, how calm you are, all those will come to uh, revelations when the crisis comes. How do you then motivate all these things of yours, right? Or, or maybe even to motivate yourself as a leader. There are two sides, the people that you're talking to and also yourself. I mean, how do you maintain that motivation or how do you actually go about motivating? I think first you need to have your own bearing, clarity in terms of what you want to do next. You may not know how to solve the problem, but you need to have clarity. For that, a lot of time people around you basically will catch what you're trying to do and then they will take the cue from you. You have to remember that everybody's uh, watching you, especially when they know that you're in charge of comms or you're in, in the leadership roles and you have to make decisions. So I have been in a situation where the company's in the pit and fellows, C-level, people will have a lot of comments, right? Oh, you should do this and you should do that. I mean, those inputs are helpful, sometimes not very helpful. So you need to know when to filter and say, okay, fine, all these are, are useful, but I need to sort of think about what is the best thing I need to do right now. You may not know what's going to happen in the next two days. And I was in a similar situation just two years ago, whereby it was a company crisis. And even as leaders, we, we don't have the full pictures. You need to have a very strong heart, basically. And then, you know, two days later, you will tell you, you find out about something new about the situation and you're like, oh, okay. So do I say something? If I say something now or make a certain statement now, would it be difficult for me to undo that or would it affect the communication going downward? What would be the ripple effects? So we have to be careful. At the same time, you have to act fast. You cannot think too much. Yeah, but it sounds like you need an insane level of amount of confidence in what you're about to do next, <laughs> isn't it? Sounds like it. Sounds <laughs> like it. Yeah, but somehow, you know, I guess this is one of those things in crisis that adrenaline kick in, right? You just need to know. It can also be very draining. I guess this one, I think, has got to do with mental fortitude. You need to really stay focused. I don't know whether this is a case where my training in advertising works out, you know. In, in the past, you know, when we're still young executive and we, we're trying to sort of run the deadline and, and there are changes and last-minute disruptions. But, you know, my, my senior always tell me, eh, the ad will run. No matter how the app will run, it's like walking across the wobbly bridge together and you have to tell them, I'm walking the same bridge as you, but I will hold your hand, we will walk through. You do not know if the bridge will break or, you know, if you will fall, but because you're the one holding the hand, you assure them that we are doing this together. This is, I would say, the best analogy I can give to my colleagues when we come to this situation is how do I then motivate my millennials team? So you're never walking alone and there's actually some form of confidence in numbers too, yeah? Yeah, you have to rally the support and help. You cannot do this alone. Sometimes they are on the same page with you. Sometimes they may not be. But in the situation where you have limited information, you need to make the best possible solution you can get. It may not be perfect, 
well, Christina, maybe I can change gears a little bit, right? And I'm going to shine a spotlight on one of your most, I think, exciting experience uh, at one of the uh, startups known as uh, Honest BN. Right? That rings a bell. You know I'm about to go in that, that direction, right? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So from your perspective, having lived through it, okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm still talking to you today, so I'm assuming that you have survived very well, seasoned from the experience. How should leaders organize themselves and their organizations to respond better to crises? I guess I will share from how we rally ourselves. I think on the wake of the crisis, it comes in basically in waves. This is the part where the crisis didn't just happen once. It unfolds over the months and then it spread to multiple markets. So when we first know about it, it was actually with I think a smaller team and I was first told that we are breaking out with one of the major partnerships. And then of course, immediately I think about all the potential repercussions. So who will it be impacted? What has been communicated and committed? It's not as if you can sit in the room and everybody give you a full download. You just need to uncover. So I would say this whole experience, like going through the trailer stories, right? You discover and you learn about the situation unfold and then begin to piece the pieces together. Seems like there's a lot of sense-making going on there. Yeah, there's a lot of sense-making. It's as it goes, so it could be like, you know, within hour one, hour two, you're unfolding and trying to get information. And then you still may not have all the information, but you join the dots with whatever is possible and try to triangulate what really happening. What people say is one thing, but what in nature is, is another thing. And you think about who are the people that will be impacted. And of course, you know, something like this probably would go to the press. So you want to make sure that a more accurate information goes to the press. You want to be concerned about how would the brand be perceived. You also want to think about, okay, the rest of the people who are involved who are in the interaction to the partnerships, you know, how should they react because they probably don't have all the full pictures. And people talk among each other. So if the right channel of communications are not managed, then things will go out in like a great way and it will affect the brand. So you have to think about basically how do you then still manage the relationship? How do you manage the brand reputation? Expecting queries to come from the media and what would be your statement? So, because we, right now it seems that we are managing the communication to the key stakeholders. What about managing the issue itself as well at hand? So, how, how is that done? Is it done concurrently or is it done by a separate team then? It is both actually, concurrently as well as a separate team because you want to make sure that information and communication from both sides are aligned. So, that's important. Uh, of course, there are some other issues related. There are more business related. Somebody else will handle it, but you need to be in tune. You need to be the person who knows exactly what's happened. And I'll always tell my leaders and the person involved, say, you have to tell me exactly what is the situation. Then I know what is the best way to communicate this. What do we tell our staff? What do we tell external partners? What do I tell the media? The thing is, you should never lie. Of course, you need to sort of curate the message and it should not be far from the truth. So a fair amount of transparency is then for required yeah. to build that kind of trust with the key stakeholders. Correct, correct. And the thing is, most of the people on the outside who are observing this, naturally, because they do not know what's really going on, they will panic. So how do you then still instill confidence? As an organisation, you need to show that you, you know what to do as a next step. So then do you clamp up or open up? I mean, there seems to be two different philosophies towards managing this kind of crisis as well, right? Um, you open up with curated information. What can be communicated, you communicate. So I'll give you an example, right? So I was involved in a car accident, right? Somebody bumped me from the back and then because I was in a near stationary position, still my car accidentally moved and hit the car in front. So when I was doing my police report, 
So I was describing what happened. I said, oh, somebody hit me from behind, which is for sure because I sense it. And then I hit the car in front. What was advised by the police officer is, do you really hit the car in front? You state what really happened, as in you feel the bump in front of the cars because when you by saying that you hit the car in front, you are liable, you're admitting that you're liable. So that's why sometimes in the communication, you also, when it comes to sensitive issue, you may want to consult a lawyer. So I'll say, oh, can we say this or nobody's guilty until proven? Well, because with the digital adoption that we are seeing today and social media and all, there seems to be two school of thought, even the lawyers themselves these days, right? I've spoken to lawyers based out of Singapore and some of them based out in Malaysia. They have very different views on certain things. Some of them uh, are more advocates of being more transparent where possible. Mm. There's another camp is saying that like what you just mentioned earlier, if you say anything or if you apologize, there seems to be admission of guilt as well. Yes, there is also this scenario as well. So the thing is, you cannot communicate what the lawyer tell you. Take the principle and then you curate the message and say, this is how I'm going to craft it. Does that make me liable? Does that make me, you know, are we in any compromising position as a result of this? Right. So you right. can take the advice, but as a comps person, you still need to curate the message. But it sounds like a lot of these kind of scenarios and crises that organizations go through, right? There's a lot of uncertainty, or rather the environment is reasonably uncertain. So how do you go about decision-making then? There are many different cards you have to play. So I did mention, first, you need to rally the key person within the leadership, right? So there has alignment at the top. Typically, a lot of companies, before crisis happens, they will have a crisis comm uh, strategy or crisis management strategy where you have some key stakeholders that will be involved in that. This is the circle of people that you will share information and then you decide, you know, what you have to do next as part of the business policy or practice and then there's the communication part so what we can communicate and then there is the stakeholders you've got to think about who else need to be informed so there's your board directors there's also your partners who may be affected by this because you may have issues with partners and the rest of the partners will have questions as well if they ask questions to the employees what would the employees say so you have to prep the internal stakeholders as well. The situation, does that affect you? You could think about really from different perspective, what would each party be looking for? And how do you allay their concerns? And then of course the staff. When do you let the bigger group of staff know? How do you communicate that? You know, we have seen a few cases like when Mark Zuckerberg has this town hall and then somebody recorded what he says, right? And then he get leaked. So this thing happened in the <laughs> where you cannot say, you know, you cannot come in and yeah, and, such a porous environment. Yeah, really. yeah. So it's very porous. So that's why as much as possible, I will advocate you do communication, do it face to face if you can. If you can't, then make sure that your communications, very whether it's Zoom or via email, need to be curated. You have to prepare for it to be screen grabbed and leaked out to the media. So what are you comfortable expressing to the media? So these are some of the considerations you, you got to think about, right? And then, of course, you got to prep your staff. What if there are media camping outside the door, the office, trying to talk to people? Ah, that's also possible. Yeah. So yes, you have yes. to advise, I think, internally, there has to be protocol that's been established. Nobody talks to the media except through the comms, direct all questions. Nobody do face-to-face -face interview or direct interview with the media unless they are trained. If they're not trained, then chances are let's make sure that we manage that process. So who gets to decide? Since, I mean, like you mentioned earlier, right? There's going to be a lot of armchair critics, uh, suddenly subject matter experts popping out of nowhere. So who gets to decide and what basis should they decide on making decisions in such an uncertain environment? I guess in some organization there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of armchair generals. In the situation I was in because I was the point person, so I, I get to drive this. 
interestingly, sometimes you say, oh no, it's really not that serious. No, we're not trying to throw anyone down the bus. You know, so so sometimes I would remind them, yeah, wardrobe f- malfunctions are not news too, but somehow you appear on the news too. So <laughs> you have to be be careful. You always have to be cautious and be responsible because whatever you say, you have to be responsible for what you say. Yeah, so you have to be factual. Try not to find excuses because you'll find that if you give excuses, you'll come back to haunt you next time. So you actually have to form like a task force? Yeah, very quickly I say, okay, who has to be involved in this, right? And then set the rules and say, nobody talks to the media except through me. All messages, questions need to be directed so that we all make the decision. And during that period of time for a few months, we then have a few uh, other issues and then it spread to multiple countries. But the headquarters is always in Singapore and we even have a war room. Are decisions like voted on or is it something that someone decides? I wouldn't say it's democratic process voting but you will be aligned with the core management people because they have to be on the same page as you right so the the senior leadership then needs to decide together yes yes and then of course the core person you could basically tell them the repercussion if you do this this is going to happen if you do that that's going to happen I mean, there are some of these areas, right? You, you, you spoke about it just now uh, earlier. Maybe I can go back to that as well. Uh, the crisis communication part, that's very important, right? And you mentioned that there are the internal communication that we have to worry about, invite vendors, partners, and employees can say, versus the external front-facing one, which is your general public and your customers and clients. I mean, do you have a sort of like a roadmap as to what can be shared, what can't be shared, and how do you explain things, in the, especially in a crisis mode? It's always from the perspective, you have put yourself in the shoes of the customers. What concerns them? What will they be looking for? Some of them are not going to care how you're going to run your company. Some of them will be more concerned about will I get my payment, you know, will I get my money or will I get my order. Like for example, in case of data breaches, right, this is with another company. The customer will be concerned about whether my information is leaked. I don't care how many cybersecurity experts you're hiring right now to fix it. It's my information compromised. That's what they want to know. Of course, you tell them in a simple language how you are making sure this will not happen. So you have to instill trust. We know what's happening. We have a plan. You're not affected. Thank you for your understanding. So trust with the stakeholders and managing of this, that trust is vital, right? Very important. The thing is everybody's watching what you're doing. Things get to the social media. You don't basically ignore any questions that come. Certain things you can address, certain things you can't satisfy everyone. Right, so you just need to make sure that what is the common denominators you can do. Is there a guideline as to what can or cannot be shared? So decision from the management side, right, in terms of what is going to potentially form company reputation risk. So that's one of the parameters. Another one is if it's confidential business information, we don't share that. But at the end of the day, it's about what are you going to do with the situation? But because there are so many parties involved, especially in a public or crisis of a certain scale, I mean, I'm sure that there is that kind. Of, there's no one size fit all communications, right? I mean, how are you going to tackle about all communicating to all the different needs of everyone? I mean, like you said, that even within the customers, there mm. are different camps, right? Some are acceptable, some are really up in arms with pitchforks and all, right? So. How should we go about this? We're talking about from the leadership angle, how do you, you want to get ready? It's, I would say, liken it to building your crisis management muscles. So it's not like a choreographed dance and, you know, it beats and then, you know, five sets, it beats and then the same action and then do a turn and whatever. You, you can't choreograph this. But what you can do is actually you train up your, I would say, in exercise term, muscle memories. It hits you, you know what to do, right? It's like when you learn cycling. 
you have no idea what bumps you're going to come up, but it's your muscle memories that teach you what to do. So, so how should it be managed? So, some of the things that you need to be mindful of is you have to be prepared to drop everything and attend it when it happens. Drop everything and just listen. Find out what's happening.、Uh, you look at stopping the tap at the source. If there's a leaking tap, then stop it first. Prevent it from escalating. Then you assess what's the damage. You look at how you can rebuild them in the process. Your posture is very important. You have to show that you always have a plan, but at the same times you need to show empathy because some people respond to this with a lot of emotions. So as a brand, you have to have empathy. You also need to be authentic. People can tell whether or not you're lying. Once somebody said something to me that I thought was quite funny, but. Somehow true, and and it was that particular crisis in two years ago when a whole series of things unfold, and and he told me he said you know the good part is if we're already that low we're not gonna go any lower. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very optimistic view of、All、things. Hmm.、Right. Okay. Now that you mentioned it, we just it can only get better, right? No, but you see, most of the time earlier you mentioned that we talk about muscle memory when responding to crisis. But what about crisis of this type of nature, like the kind of pandemic situation that we're in, where there is no roadmap, no one knows what's going on, hasn't been seen before. There's a lot of movies about it, but we can't follow what the movies does, right? So how do we tackle this thing? Same principle. In fact, I actually、uh, I wrote a little articles about this pandemic teach us about crisis calm. I'm just looking at how China manage it. How were some of the Initial misses and eventually they capture that. So it's the same thing. Is when there are signs, be suspicious and investigate it. Don't overreact. So there were signs, for example, in the pandemics, right? Things are not going well. And then when it begins to sort of festers, you need to sort of start to drop everything and try to attend to it. Stop the tap by showing that you're in, you're having control. If that's the case, right? Is there a timing for this? Is there a good time, especially when addressing, say, all the key stakeholders that you have? I would say swift, very quickly. We are all in a new new media、um, economy, so information moves very very fast. You have to act very fast. So I would say really drop everything, drop everything. Assume that information has gone out, and of course you need to assess what has gone out. As people started asking questions, so last time when we had leadership change, there were. Rumors circulating outside before we actually even got the official notice. Address that. Is it true? Sometimes because of sensitive issue, the person concerned may not want to tell you. But you have to, you know, basically impress upon them that you have to tell me what really is going on. Then I can help. I'm here to help you, right? To help you to manage this. So, is there a right time to communicate? I would say don't delay.、Uh, you want to basically be able to make a statement or curate the conversations or manage the conversation before it takes a different path. In such circumstances, right? Would it be wise to apologize or only when legal says so? You want to make sure that your apology doesn't imply liability on your part till the investigation is true. You can apologize for how they're experiencing, for the discomfort they may be going through now. Those are real. You may、right. think that also small issue, but you know those discomfort are real to the people who are experiencing it. If you apologize for the failure of your obligations, then it is oh conviction. <laughs> Let's say for example data breach, right? So you apologize. Probably sometimes you don't even you won't even say outright apologize. We say we apologize for the inconvenience that is caused right now. Rest assured that we have actually nipped this and we have resolved this. Uh, we are writing to let you know what has happened, so that you don't hear from outside. And most of the time, because they have not heard from outside, they say, "Oh, okay, thank you for telling me." And we are not just addressing the legal compliance that is required, but also the emotional 
thresholds of the stakeholders as well, right? Yes, yes. Because it's yeah, some of those are very real, right? So in cases where, for example, you have payment in arrears, for example, people whom you owe money to, that's their livelihood. It's very, very, very real. It may be a small amount of money, but it's very real to them. So you right. cannot ignore. It's not just the money or business, it's livelihood that we're talking yes, about. Yes, it's about my commitment. You come into business together with me, I'm, I should be committed to you. Still, ultimately, it still boils down to the trust of everyone. Right? Yeah, your heart, you need to basically be able to have heart, mind and soul, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> mind is, of course, you have to stay calm, right? The world is rocking, but you have to stay calm. Uh, and the heart is, you really need to be able to feel the pain from the the other party potentially could affect them. So it's really as a brand, how do you then project yourself? Trust takes a lot of efforts to build up. It can be lost in one second if you don't do it properly. People may not be interacting with you in that incident, but a lot of more, more other people are observing what you do. It's like a bank, right? You have to deposit first, then you can withdraw later. Yes, you have to be prepared to lose some of them. Tolerant levels are not there. There will be damage. So you have to assess what potential damage. For example, if you're changing your service, let's say, oh, you know, I used to open 24 hours and I want to now serve you from 8 o'clock to 8 o'clock. Think about how, what kind of inconvenience this is going to cost them. Therefore, find a way to break news to them. And meanwhile, how else can we help you? I think empathetic leadership is definitely one of the key major pillars that can sustain you during a crisis, right? One of the things I'm usually most concerned about will be the people if you would ask me what was my experience with honesty throughout the whole incidents and the stint I stayed there, I mean, I really enjoy working there. And it's quite interesting being able to see startup at work and the front row seats. I learned a lot of things. What touches my heart or pains me towards the end was to see how employees, my fellow colleagues, been affected. You do what you can to at least give them some clarity. So I've got a final question for you. In all crises and such situations, right, resources that's available for you at your disposal to respond to a crisis is always very critical and very limited. How should then leaders go about allocating this very valuable and limited resources during such a crisis? If there's not a lot of resources you have, you take whatever you can, but you need to basically, I think, pick people who are mature, who can serve a certain role, for example, they can help with the craft message or they can help to basically comb. You need to be very clear what some of the tasks you allocate to them. So I will have somebody basically comb the news to make sure that we stay kept informed on what's been discussed out there. Then there are also people that you basically have to deploy to facilitate communications. But a lot of time you have to be personally involved. And in my mandate is even when I'm outside the office, just reach me anytime. Anytime, any issues so that you are always accessible. I thank you, Christina, for your candid sharing and also very valuable insights when it deals with crisis communications, or especially those unexpected ones. I'm sure our fellow industry leaders listening in will greatly benefit from it. Thank you again. Most of all, thank you listeners for tuning in to our QED Changemaker Series podcast. For more information on QED's leadership development solutions, email us at info at qed.sg. That's info at qed.sg. Do remember to subscribe to our channel and be updated on our latest episodes. I'm your host, Ryan Lim, and I look forward to having you in our next episode.